after the draft is all said and done, you have to find out what you have to take away as a lesson and what we do as well. Rob Rang is here with me today. We're going to go over the big takeaways and touch on the Seattle Seahawks today of Locked On NFL Draft. You are Locked On NFL Draft, your daily podcast covering the NFL Draft. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we're back. Croc will take care of the show, but we wanted to have the conversation. This is Rob Rang from Fox Sports as well as Locked On Seahawks. Man, I, Rob, I love being back in this point because you could take everything you just saw, process it for a few days, see what you come away with. That for me is like how I get ready for the next draft cycle and what the trend is. And that's kind of what I wanted to look at. Takeaways from this cycle for you when you take a, the, the 500-foot view what did you think of the draft overall? You know, to me, one of the most exciting things about it, Ryan, it was just the fact that we we did see some surprises, and that we saw the teams that had all of those, uh, you know, early first round selections. You know, eight different teams had uh, multiple first round picks, and, and so many of them used those selections. Uh, I think that you got to look at what the New York Jets did with, with the three picks that you know, and just the the, the aggression that they showed in trading back up. Uh, you know, my goodness, Jermaine Johnson and being able to get him in the 20s. I mean, that was just shocking to me. I mean, I really thought that I, I had been kind of pounding the table that the Seattle Seahawks number nine overall should be considering him there. And and, and to see New York kind of trade back up and, and make that selection at that point, I, I really thought that the Jets, hey, it's a lot easier when you have all those draft picks. The same thing with the Kansas City Chiefs, um, you know, because the fact that you have multiple draft picks, it, it makes things easier. But still, to to have those picks and to be able to actually uh, uh, invest them in players that are going to make sense for the West, rest of your franchise and its future, to me, that, that is one of the, fa- the fascinating things about the NFL draft every year. It's not about what the media thinks. It's about getting guys who actually fit in with your club and with the New York Jets specifically, I mean, Sauce, of course, uh, you know, and then as I mentioned, Jermaine Johnson, obviously, um, you know, and then in the Kansas City, I mean, and, and getting the, the, the cornerback that they did, a guy who I think is been kind of slept on a little bit here. Uh, like to me, that. that was one of the big stories of this draft. I, I, I thought you were going to dig that one a lot, to tell you the truth. And and that's that's one of the takeaways for me is at the end of the day, especially when it comes to the corners, all the testing, all the concern. It ended, ended up getting thrown out the window, and it, it really went back to like athleticism as a checkoff level, but then it's about the film. Even if it's three-year-old film, were you surprised that nobody really held it against Stingley more so that it's been two seasons of mediocre play compared to his freshman year? It didn't surprise me. I mean, when I when I watched him, I just thought, "Oh my goodness, this guy is special." I mean, I, I was trying to you know tell the, the the folks that I talked to in in the NFL, like, "Hey, I, this is just my opinion, but I, I think Stingley is a different kind of guy now." You know, and and I love Sauce Gardner. Uh, you know, he he has been you know kind of bandied about in, in Seattle as a guy that if he was available to the Seahawks number nine, I mean, this is Richard Sherman part you know two point and, and I actually think that Seattle may have gotten themselves Richard Sherman 2.0 a little bit later in the draft, uh, you know. But I, I really thought that um, Stingley, just his hips, his feet, his ball skills. I, I get it. I mean, it, when you're when 
you can consider the fact the last two years that he has not been that guy. But I, I just every time I, I saw people kind of question Kayvon Thibodeau and, and question Derek Stingley, and every time I came back to the tape and just thought, my goodness, this the to say that the, the tape is bright is it does is it's not even comparable to, to some of the other players in this trap. Now, again, there's all kinds of bus factor with both of them, considering the fact that they were not as consistent as you would like. But if you're going to select a player in the, in the, you know, in the first round, certainly in the top 10, then you're hoping that if you hit on this guy, then he's not just a good player. He is a great player. He is an all pro player. And so it was kind of, rewarding honestly um you know a little bit comforting just because i i saw a guy that could be special in sting i saw a guy that could be special in, in, in cave on thibodeau and so considering how much talk there's been about both of those players and how they're so overrated and i just kept saying i don't think they're overrated i think these are guys that have exceptional talent and, and to see them actually get drafted as early as they were uh, was a little bit kind of just comforting. The NFL teams are seeing things the way that I see them as well. I like that too. I, I mean, we're remiss if we don't talk about the biggest surprise. Well, at least for most people, the quarterback class. Like, I, I, I just want to say congratulations, NFL GMs. You finally stuck to your guns and stuck with yeah. your grades. It was a surprise for me. I was flabbergasted that they actually did what they should do every single year and not let the quarterbacks drive everything up. Was it a, a surprise for you as well, or did you kind of feel like that's the way it was going? Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, the, the the very first team that I had selecting a quarterback in in my last mock draft was the Pittsburgh Steelers at number twenty overall. But I I can't give myself too much credit, Ryan. I mean, I had the Pittsburgh Steelers taking Malik Willis, and obviously he wound up falling into the third round. Um, and I, I did have Kane Pickett in the first. I I had him going number thirty two overall to the Detroit Lions. You know, so I, I felt pretty good that I didn't kind of, you know, bite the apple the, the way a lot of folks did with the quarterbacks and saying, oh, they've got to go in the top 10. Because as you said, I mean, that, that's what history says that the teams are going to do. And there certainly were some quarterback needy teams in that top 10 that ultimately elected to pass over quarterbacks, you know, many, many times. But at the same time, when you look at what the Pittsburgh Steelers did in allowing Kenny Pickett, who, of course, has been walking into the exact same building that he is going to be right. now playing his NFL career, that, that to me is one of the fun things. I mean, the irony of that, uh, that Kevin Colbert just kind of sticking, you know, staying pat and, and not, uh, you know, aggressively trading up. You kind of kind of love that from a Pittsburgh Steelers perspective. Um, and then, uh, as you just kind of hinted at, NFL teams just basically being as disciplined as they were. I mean, it's, it's rare that you see that. Yeah. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that this quarterback class was, as we've talked about, is not quite as good as, uh, you know, certainly classes that we've seen in the past. And the 2023 draft class looks really, really good at the quarterback position. So it, it's you, you don't often re reward teams for their uh, for, you know, just being disciplined. And I think that that was one of the things that was so obvious here is that clubs recognize that there's an awful lot of talent along the line of scrimmage, at receiver, at defensive back, and that they took full advantage of that and allowed those quarterbacks to fall down the board. I was I was pretty impressed. I was to be um, you know to my own horn a little bit. I was very happy to see my quarterbacks. My top five came off exactly as I said. They landed pretty much where I said they should in terms of their to overall pick. Um, and my guy Zappy. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that the guy who took 
Tennessee Chattanooga center Cole Strange in the first round decided to listen to me and take Zappi as the fifth quarterback in the fourth round. I don't know, but that's the way it worked out. Um, is there a stranger draft than the Patriots? I don't know. I, you know, but stranger or more effective. I mean, that, that's the thing is they go with their guys. And I, that's one of the things I love about New England, Bill Belichick, is they don't give a darn uh, <laughs> about what anybody else thinks. Um, you know, and, and I, I kind of, you know, joked about the fact that it was a strange or odd selection, you know, selecting a, a UT Chattanooga mocks uh, interior offensive lineman. Uh, well, I, I made that mistake earlier. Um, but anyways, it, I, I just kind of like that they made that selection because the fact that, that he is a good football player. I mean, I was really impressed by him at the senior bowl, wrote about as much. Um, you know, but I, I still, I, I'm not going to say that I thought that he would go in the top 32, you know, but at the same time, he just fits in with what they do. I, I thought at times New England got a little bit too smart for themselves. A lot of small school players, a lot of guys um, that, that maybe were a little bit of a reach in terms of the draft projections. But at the same mm-hmm. time, who am I to argue with what Bill Belichick does? Obviously, interior offensive line was a, it was a c- clear area of concern for them. The, the team's ability to find quarterbacks, is, you know, speaks for itself. I mean, obviously, Tom Brady's everybody it was the one that everybody talks about. But what about Jimmy Garoppolo? What about Jacoby Brissett? I think I think that Bailey Zappi has the the short area, intermediate area accuracy and awareness that you're looking for in today's NFL. He doesn't have the big arm, but you don't need a big arm to be successful in today's NFL. So to me, those are some of the things I really liked about, and I love the cover corners that they drafted as well. So to me, I think that the the New England Patriots are going to get blasted by a lot of people. I thought they actually had a lot better draft than people want to suggest. Folks, remember in two years when Coach Belichick gets two number ones for Bailey Zappi that I told you now, just me and Bill, it's all right greatest coach of all time. I'll take it. Uh, We got to talk about maybe bigger things for us as evaluators that we have to take away from this draft. We'll do that here in a second. Whether she prefers a statement piece or subtle everyday elegance. Gifting for Mother's Day at BlueNile.com has fine jewelry options for every single mother. Whether it's classic diamond earrings, elegant tennis bracelets, or gemstone pendant necklaces. This Mother's Day, give something mom she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Chiefs listeners get between $50 and $500 off. This podcast exclusive is only good through Mother's Day. Use the code LOCKEDON. That is the code LOCKEDON. And every order is insured. It ships free and it arrives in discreet packaging so you don't give away the surprise. Shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. So evaluate the evaluators. That's what I do with myself every year. I don't know that I'm ready to look in the mirror as quite as hard as every other season lately, but if you had to take everything that did happen and a couple of things that didn't, what's your top takeaway about where the trends are? Where, where do we have to adjust as our evaluators to better emulate what's happening in the league by the executives themselves? I think the number one thing is just the wide receivers and, and how they came off the board. I mean, we saw a record number of wide receivers, uh, you know, be drafted within the what top 18 selections with, with the six of them at, at that point. I mean, oh my goodness. And then, of course, in the second round, we had another record with all the receivers coming off the board. I mean, I think it's a reflection both of obviously this year's talent, but also just the huge dollars that are being spent 
you know, in, in terms of the veterans at, at that position. And then locally here with, with Seattle, I really was shocked by, by Seattle making that selection of Charles Cross at number nine overall. And, and I think that he is worthy of that. I thought that he was the best pass blocker in this year's draft class. But at the same time, talk about a departure from what the club has done in the past. They have never gone with the guys that, that primarily played out of the two-point stance. And now suddenly, um, they, that's exactly what they did. In the first round with Charles Cross, and then the third round with Abraham Lucas, same exact kind of thing. I mean, going with the Mike Leach kind of offensive tackles for a team that likes to run the football down teams' throats. I was not surprised by the selection of Kenneth Walker the third. I was stunned by the selection of Charles Cross. <laughs> and so that, to me, would be one of the things that I got to kind of check myself a little bit because I, I thought that I knew how Seattle would draft. And I thought that the Seahawks actually wound up having one of the better draft classes this year. Um, I also was surprised by how early the receivers went basically across the board. Yeah, for me, it was the volume of them. And I'm one that I always go back to the four pillars in quarterback, offensive tackle, defensive end, or, or pass rusher edge. And corner, do we have to change that now? Is wide receiver either one of the five, maybe five, or has it jumped the offensive tackle position at this point, given how raw and how spread all these offensive tackles are coming out? <laughs> I think that's a really excellent point there because I would have argued against that prior to the draft, but my goodness, <laughs> the, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the drafting. Um, and, and the way that the NFL teams, I mean, just it exploded at wide receivers, including some guys that I think are a little bit raw coming off the board just so early, whereas I thought there was a lot of, fairly proven offensive tackles, for example, that it slid down the board. Um, I didn't think that this was a terrific defensive tackle class, uh, but still to see a guy like, see Travis Jones, for example, um, you know, from UConn to slide all the way down the way that he did in the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, be able to get a steal in the third round. That to me was a little bit of a stunner. And I know that defensive tackles do not have the value that they once did, but still. Uh, that was one of the big surprises for me to see some of the receivers. I don't want to question the the selection of some of these wide receivers, but I didn't think that some of those guys were nearly as pro ready as some of the defensive tackles. And to see those guys fall down the board, the guys that impact the quarterbacks wind up falling down the board and the receivers wind up going earlier. Absolutely surprised me. It's going to be, I think, a change of venue there about the whole way that we have to stack things. Positional evaluations are, aren't changing, but it's where is that value? And for me, it all comes back to this offseason and the free agency market for the wide receivers. We saw two veteran receivers get traded within the draft confines, but that's got to go, I think, towards more volume, more chances, more bites at the apple in terms of, like you said, some receivers that weren't ready that were taken, but... We've we've seen the development, I think, progress in the league. It used to be year three was the magic year for the wide receivers. Now it's what can you do for me today when I draft you? Do you think that that's a flaw that's going to come back to haunt some of these draft selections? Well, I think it might. I mean, certainly I, I was stunned when I, I saw John Mechie come off the board, number 44 overall, and I don't, I don't want to blast the selection of John Mechie. I think he's a good football player. A really good football player and, and perhaps maybe a steal for the BC Lions in the seventh round of the just concluded CFL draft. But at the same time, 44 overall, 
coming off of the injury, coming off of the, the marginal production that he had at Alabama when he was basically, you know, kind of lots of the other guys that uh, had so much more success at Alabama in his current class and obviously in prior classes ahead uh, of guys like David Ajabo, guys like Colin Brisker. I mean, my goodness, Cam Jurgens. In my opinion, there was uh, Tyler Linderbaum, there was Cam Jurgens. I mean, there was a very mm-hmm. top two, in my opinion, at the center position. Cole Strange, certainly, if you want to have that conversation, I like him better at guard, but whatever the case might be, still, that's what surprised me is we were talking about all these receivers coming off the board so early. I, I still believe that if you've got a really good quarterback, then the receivers can kind of come along with that. And, and to see so many receivers come off the board before some really, really good football players that I thought were kind of the, the stars of the show at, at their respective positions. You know, you, you had 10 receivers come off the board before the, the second re, the second center, for example. That, to me, was absolutely stunning. <laughs> Our teams did some work as well in a number of complicated ways. Well, we'll get to that here in a minute, folks. It's that time of the year. You might not be done with your New Year's resolution, but you got to keep fighting for it. Whether you're trying to get fitter or you're just trying to live a cleaner life, Built Bar can help you. These are the bars that you want to get. They're the best tasting protein bars out there. They do their job, including the puffs as well as these flavors that you can get all over the place. They're incredible. And it doesn't matter if you like the, the cinnamony churro, the coconut marshmallow, the straight coconut brownie chunk that I love, as well as the toffee almond. They're all there. They're all delicious. And they give you what you need to try to stay fit and support yourself in your goals for this new year. They're low calorie, high protein, and low in everything that you don't need. You can go over there. They're generally about 130 to 150 calories. They have four grams of net sugars. They have four net carbs. They have 17, on average, grams of protein per bar. You can compare them to like a candy bar. It's like 240 calories. And that's what you get the difference in using Built Bars. Mint Brownie's a popular flavor right now. They have a bunch of the new puffs that are the marshmallow protein. I love the new uh, white chocolate cookies and cream, as well as some of these classics like the coconut brownie. Check them out over at Built Bar. Make sure that you check everything that they have. Our offer, as always, is at Built.com. It's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off of your order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So since he's not here, in fact, he might just cut this whole segment out once he puts this together. We'll, We'll talk about it. The interesting thing to me is we talked a number of times about Pacific Northwest players in the process for the draft. And of the top five, your team and mine took three of them. So I was happy to see it. Both McDuffie and John Watson from Wazoo ended up in Kansas City. And then Lucas ends up in Seattle as well. As you look at that, like for your team and the fits, was was this just a, you know a value selection or was it you know, a little bit of, hey, keep the kid in the home state, that kind of thing we saw with Aiden Hutchins and some guys up above him as well. Yeah, I thought the Abraham Lucas, uh, the right tackle, four-year starter at Washington State, uh, I, I understand when NFL teams select a, a local product. I mean, you're, you're trying to put it butts in seats. I mean, as uh, John Schneider and, and many other general managers have, have said, look, they're in the entertainment business and, and they want to, you know, Make it make the fans happy at the same time, considering the fact that the Seattle is absolutely doing a roster rebuild. This is exactly the MO which they had demonstrated before in terms of building up their offensive line and then selecting the quarterback. 
Um, I think that it made a lot of a lot of sense. As I mentioned, a four-year starter goes to the senior bowl, was very successful there. I wasn't surprised by that. I, I thought that Abraham Lucas right. was one of the more underrated players in this draft class, certainly at, along the offensive line. And then he goes to the combine is absolutely spectacular. I, I do have some insight as far as why Jalen Watson fell down the board a little bit. Um, there have been some questions about just how football savvy is he? Um, he hadn't mm. been expected to, to play um, very many different coverages in, in the Pac-12 and at Washington State. And so a player that I and I know some NFL teams had fourth and fifth round grades for him to slide all the way down into the what, seventh round. I mean, was absolutely a stunner to me. I think Kansas City got an absolute steal. I also believe they got an absolute steal in Trent McDuffie, the corner from uh, University of Washington, really good football player. Just, I, I just think that he is a guy. We talked about this before, Ryan. That as far as I thought that the, the cornerback was the biggest position of need for Kansas City. Of course, a lot of people nationally, maybe even some folks in Kansas City, who once they saw the, the trade of Tyreek Hill, they thought, well, that's going to be priority number one for Brett Veach and for Andy Reid. And it, those saying that just don't know the way that the Andy Reid has operated for years and that Brett Veach has proven himself to operate here in the last couple of years. And if they're not mm-hmm. going to gamble, they're not going to you know, panic. Um, they're going right. to find guys recognizing that they have an elite player at the quarterback position, obviously. And, and so why try to take a guy who's just a vertical threat Take a guy who can actually make some people miss in in the you know as a as a slot receiver and as uh you know a guy that you can do some things with in, in the short to intermediate range. And so to me, that is where I thought the Kansas City absolutely hit it out of the park this year. I thought that Seattle did a really nice job. It's not the sexiest draft, but Seattle has to kind of figure out the rest of the roster before they worry about gambling on a quarterback. The fact that they that they waited and we saw it virtually every other NFL team wait. At the quarterback position, I think kind of speaks to that that was the savvier move uh, for Seahawks as well. Yeah, I agree. Like I was, I was back and forth. I, I know there's a lot of questions at the running back spot. So Kenneth Walker was was my top back in this draft. So I was happy to see him there. But you made a good point earlier. Cross best pass blocking left tackle in this draft. I, I would argue that that's Lucas's strength as well. If you're looking to put those guys in, is this about going going less run game? about changing the overall offense, and what does that mean for Kenneth Walker in the Seahawks' new offense? Well, I, I don't want to make this a, a, just a Seahawks-related post, but you know, one of the things that, that Seattle has done is that with the uh, addition of Andy Dickerson as the offensive line coach, rather than Mike Solari, who had previously been their offensive line coach, Mike Solari wants big, physical, tough guys. They're going to just knock you off the ball. That would have been... Uh, you know, Seattle's priority in the past. But now with Andy Dickerson, who came from Seattle, from the Los Angeles Rams, along with the offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, th- they're looking more for those guys who are a little bit more athletic. You're going to do a lot of outside zone kind of runs you're, you're, where your priority is not necessarily putting guys on, and from the defensive side on their backside. You're, you just want to get in front of them and be able to turn and, and allow the running backs to make some plays. That, that sets up better for Rashad Penny. It sets up better, certainly for Kenneth Walker the third, and then it absolutely sets up better if you're trying to pass protect for the quarterbacks. And you know, I, Seattle is interesting. They really believe in in Drew Locke, and and frankly, I do too. I just think that he is a guy that coming out of Missouri a couple of years ago, 
there, there's no question he struggled with the Denver Broncos, but he didn't mm-hmm. struggle initially. He struggled as time went on. And, and Seattle thinks that they can kind of resurrect him. And if they cannot, he is in the last, de- last year of his deal. Seattle now has two first-round picks in next year's draft, as well as two second-round picks in next year's draft. If Drew Locke struggles with at least one rookie, I mean, Charles Cross is going to be their starter at left tackle. Quite possibly, mm-hmm. Abraham Lucas is going to be the starter at right tackle. If not, you're talking about Jake Curran, a former undrafted free agent a year ago, is going to be your starter at right tackle. If Drew Locke struggles there, then Seattle likely is going to wind up having a top-five pick. They're going to be in premium position to be able to select the quarterback. Going back to your initial point, I really think that the tackles that Seattle selected is a little bit of a, of a you know, just kind of an indication that their offense is changing a little bit. They're just reflecting the fact that you think about the Los Angeles Rams, the Arizona Cardinals, and certainly those San Francisco 49ers. That's an awful lot of really good pass rushers. And so Seattle is going to still try to run the ball down people's throats, but they cannot just be so one-sided and thinking that they can just physically maul people at the point of attack and not protect the quarterback. It'd be the start of a whole new era in Seattle, and I, I like that. We won't we won't bash the 49ers here with Crocs not here to defend them, but hey, that's enough time for us today. So thanks for getting with us, folks. Fox Sports is where you can find Rob's work as well as on Locked On Seahawks. Make sure you check that out for your second listen today. Thanks, Rob. It was great seeing you as always. Great seeing you too, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Folks, thanks for listening today. We'll talk to you tomorrow.